Pat, thank you so much for joining me today on NITV Radio. Thank you, Luana, for the invitation. I appreciate it. Firstly, you are the founding director of Women's Business, which is a collaboration of women's organisations aligned with the goal to amplify and empower First Nations women and also women of colour. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit more about what Women's Business does and the important work that you do? Yes. um, Women's Business was actually established in 2019. in response to uh, an opportunity that I had to partner with Women and Leadership Australia. Uh, We were in discussions about um, this crazy idea of uh, launching their inaugural Indigenous Women's Leadership Symposium. And uh, at that time, I was consulting and I saw a real opportunity to set up a company and create a a brand and... uh, and co-brand the event with Women in Leadership Australia. So we went ahead and had that very first uh, symposium in 2019. And uh, as a result of that, um, I also partnered with Women for Election and uh, more recently with Generation Women. These are peak organisations. They're female organisations in Australia. They are predominantly white women-led organisations. And the reason I like working with them is because um, women's business collaborating with peak organisations means that we can help them to understand how to create culturally safe spaces for First Nations women to come into their programs and their events. This year, the 2023 First Nations Women's Leadership Symposium will be taking place in NAM in August, on the 3rd of August, I believe, Mm. Um, and you'll be facilitating the day. Can you tell us a little bit more about the one-day event and the speakers and the panel discussions? Yeah, sure. This is the second symposium, and we we chose to host it in NAM because we're really, really interested and excited about what's happening in terms of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership in Victoria, particularly um, in relation to the treaty um, uh, negotiations and uh, the Aboriginal Assembly. So we wanted to put a little bit of a spotlight on that and invite some of the uh, Victorian uh, Aboriginal women leaders to come and tell us a little bit more about that. The theme of the event is the NAIDOC theme for our elders. We will be hearing from women who would be considered elders in their communities. And also, of course, we always uh, include younger First Nations women and uh, women from more diverse backgrounds. So throughout the day, we'll hear from speakers uh, such as adjunct professor Sue Ann Hunter, who is currently the deputy chair Commissioner of the Europe Justice Commission. Also, uh, people like Norni Barrow, who's the founder and chef at Mabu Mabu. Also from Victoria's Sophia Pierce. Uh, she is the owner and principal consultant of Culpa Marditi, which is uh, up near Mildura. She works a lot on country. We'll also hear from Courtney Eugle, um, who is a VFL women's player at Essendon. So we're hearing from women in politics, in Indigenous food industry, from sportswomen uh, and women working on country. 
so it's going to be a really, really exciting day to hear all of these incredibly diverse stories. And the tickets for the symposium are available for purchase at wla.edu.au. Now, just moving on, you've said it's not that First Nations women don't aspire to work. It's just that Australian workplaces are culturally and psychologically harmful environments for them. Can you mm. please expand on this statement a little bit and what is being done to make workplaces safer and more understanding towards cultural and psychological uh, safety of First Nations women? What we know is that about 51.5% of First Nations women are in the workforce. So that's just over half of us. Um, and so that is much lower than uh, Indigenous men who, who um, account for 65% um, in the workforce. The reason I talk about cultural safety is it is one of the number one reasons that women, certainly First Nations women and also um, culturally and racially marginalised women or, you know, the other term they use is women of colour. A lot of them experience very similar things in that when they go into Australian workplaces, um, they find that the workplaces are psychologically and culturally unsafe um, because the workplaces do not accommodate for cultural diversity. Um, and, you know, that's largely due to, um, I guess, the hangover of 70 years of um, the white Australia policy. So that was a, you know, a racially mandated policy that, that governed all decisions in Australia from 1901 to about 1970. And, um, and so that positioned white people in Australia as the dominant culture, as uh, the people that were entitled to leadership positions and, you know, um, prioritised in all things in the workplace. So now that we have more and more Indigenous people entering the workplace, what we're finding is that those workplaces, because they were, the culture of those workplaces were designed under um, a racially discriminative discriminative policy, the workplaces in themselves are often racially discriminative. So there's a lot of work that Australian workplaces um, need to still do in terms of making the workplace safe for, certainly for First Nations women particularly. You know, we see, because of the reconciliation action plans, we see a lot of workplaces committing to doing that, to creating more cultural safety, um, uh, but there's still a long, long way to go. And Supply Nation have done the, the stats on um, the 4,000 verified Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander businesses listed in their database. Mm. And of these, 29% are owned by First Nations women and Indigenous mm. businesses are over 100 times more likely to hire Indigenous workers than non-Indigenous businesses. So mm. based on this, which non-Indigenous businesses do you think are getting it right in this space? And what more do you think can be done to change these stats? So in terms of non-Indigenous businesses, I think if you have a look at the top tier, the Elevate RAP organisations, they're the organisations that have been working with Reconciliation Australia for a very long time and uh, they have the top tier Reconciliation Action Plans. Uh, most of them are the you know top four banks, the top four accounting houses, Qantas, 
um, Telstra, organisations like that. Um, and so they've been working, as I said, with um, Reconciliation Australia for a very long, long time, trying to understand how best to create that cultural safety in their organisations. But it's quite interesting, um, the Supply Nation stats, you know, 4,000 verified businesses, 29% of them owned by First Nations women. And the fact that Indigenous businesses are 100 times more likely to hire Indigenous people is really fantastic because the more we are empowered to run our own businesses, the more likely it is that we will provide that culturally safe space, uh, particularly for First Nations women to come and work in. Um, And I actually do a lot of work with Titters in Business. Uh, I run their business-ready workshops across New South Wales. So I teach a lot of uh, First Nations women how to start their businesses. And many of them are looking to start consulting businesses. And they're very interested in stepping out of the workplace and, and starting little consulting businesses. So that's really exciting because they get to be empowered as First Nations businesswomen. And as their businesses grow, they get to employ more First Nations women. I guess that leads on to my next question. What are investments, I know you've just mentioned a little bit just then, but what other investments have been made in career leadership development programs to enable First Nations women to succeed and become confident to take up senior management roles or even, as you said, starting up their own businesses? In 2016, I was working for a leadership school and at that time we saw the statistics around uh, career leadership for First Nations people. And um, what the research showed was that most Indigenous people knew that there was career development programs available in their workplaces, but only about 16% of them thought that they were entitled to access career development. And it's one of the reasons I set up Women's Business is to, you know, work with organisations to create more opportunities for First Nations people to come into career leadership development, uh, because unless you have access to career leadership development in your workplace, uh, it's very, very hard for you to um, uh, apply for, you know, more senior roles and move up the rank. You know, historically, we've seen a lot of Indigenous people in entry-level jobs. Um, but unless we get more and more access to career leadership development, um, we, we're we not going to see more and more people move up the ranks and uh, be promoted in those senior senior roles in, in corporations. So, um, as I said, I'm, I'm working with these organisations to to look at what we what more we can do in that space. And I guess how can corporate Australia support diversity, equity and inclusion in the workplace? So uh, the Diversity Council of Australia did a piece of research a couple of years ago um, and it was called the... It was in conjunction with Jampana and uh, University of Technology Sydney and the, survey, the research was called Gary Yala, Speak the Truth, Gendered Insights. So one of the recommendations from this uh, research um, suggests that uh, institutions and you know corporations um, need to focus um, and pay closer attention to their workplace culture. And the more they can create cultural safety and understand what cultural safety is, um, the more they will retain their First Nations staff. So the research says that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in culturally safe working environments are the most satisfied with their jobs and they're the least likely to consider leaving. 
So cultural safety reduces staff turnover. It means that, you know, you can create a space where Indigenous people feel uh, comfortable and safe to work, uh, which means that they'll enjoy it more and stay longer. I guess it just leads on to my final question. What are your hopes for the next decade for First Nations women? Actually, very optimistic. <laughs> Earlier this year in May, I attended the Wiani Utangani Summit in Canberra, and it was organised by June Oscar AO, um, who had been uh, doing this Wiani Utangani research and report um, for the last six, five, six years that she's been at the uh, First Nations Social Justice Commissioner at the Human Rights Commission. And uh, at that summit, she announced that early next year, um, they will be establishing a First Nations Gender Justice Institute at the Australian National University. Uh, and what that institute will do is continue to implement the work uh, in the Wianyu Tangani framework. So so there's the continuity of this work. June Oscar is really taking this report and embedding this implementation framework to continue to ensure that change will happen over the next 10 years um, for First Nations women. So to answer your question, my hope uh, in the next decade is that First Nations women will transition from being the most marginalised demographic in this country uh, to, in 10 years' time, being the most empowered demographic to lead this country. And I mean in terms of politics, in terms of corporate leadership, I really believe we, we, can, we can achieve that. There's obviously a lot of work that needs to be done, but there's so much work that is happening. Yeah. And you're doing such amazing work in your field and in women's business. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me on NITV Radio today and all the best for the Women's Leadership Symposium as well. And Thank you so much. Yeah, that, thank you so much for joining me. It's been great to have you on. Wonderful. Thanks, Luana.